This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Just a quick heads up, the episode you're about to hear covers some pretty heavy content, including descriptions of violence towards children. With that in mind, we'd recommend your discretion when listening, especially around our younger audience. Thanks. On July 29th, 2013, Kathleen Chadda's husband, Sanjeev, brutally murdered their two sons, Owen and Rory. They were just 10 and 5 years old. Now she's written their story and she joins me today. They weren't being left alone in the morgue. That there was somebody with them all the time and uh, that they were leaving the lights on. So that was, you know, that was important to me at the time. Still is. Um, And I suppose that's where I talk about the, the love that the boys have inspired Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, your new book, Everything, is, uh, as I was saying to you in, a, in an earlier, it reads like a tribute to your two beautiful boys, Owen and Rory. And there's also that sense of you um, being able to offload a little bit, uh, a kind of therapy in the writing. Is that fair to say? It is. I, I, I mean, I always say I, I live with this all the time. It's in my head all the time. So to be able to put it together um, in one place, um, and it's not that I necessarily need to go back and read it um, to, to know uh, what, what happened. Um, but it, it, there's a, it's almost a reassurance if, in a way. Um, but even the writing of it in the first place, was you 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 do relive things it was triggering in a way um but exactly as you said there's a therapy in that um and i i suppose in the last 10 years i've been one to try and confront um sort of the emotions um around what happened um i don't want to hide away from them because uh, i don't think that does me any good so i tend to confront the emotions Can we go back 10 years then, Kathleen, to the 29th of July, 2013? Uh, Owen is 10 years of age, uh, little Rory, five years of age. They are taken out for um, a game of bowling with their father, Sanjeev, who you met while you were working in Saudi Arabia. Uh, The pair of you happily settled in Carlo at the time of 2013. What happens? 
So, um, I suppose about 10 days previously, we'd find out that uh, Sanj had been embezzling money from the local community centre. Um, that was very shocking to me at the time. I would have considered him very honest. Uh, it never, ever would have occurred to me that he would do something like this. So, obviously, things were quite tense between us um, at that time. You say community funds. How did you find out about that? Or how was he doing this? So he, a number of months previously, had gone to the AGM and had um, either been elected or put himself forward uh, to be the treasurer of the uh, on the committee uh, for the community centre. So we have a really, really strong, thriving uh, local community centre um, and uh, it, it's one there is a there's um, uh, there's a bar in it um, and they do other other events so you know it was I suppose some somewhat money generating so there was there was a significant amount of money in the funds um, there um, he'd taken over as as treasurer which now meant he had access to those funds and to the banks um, and my understanding is he transferred money out of um, the uh, community funds into his own um, uh, account. And was it a a once-off payment or had there been kind of trickling? I think it had been trickling. Mm. Um, There might have been one or two significant, but it had been trickling because it amounted to something like 56,000, I think, 53, 56,000. As tough as it would have been, and it would have been, um, we'd have been able to manage to to pay it back, even if we'd ended up having to sell the house to do it. It would have been done. Um, It was manageable. Um, so up until the, I suppose, the, the 29th, you know, as I say, things were somewhat tense um, between myself and Sanj. But, um, you know, it was the summer holidays. I was on, I had actually taken parental leave that, that summer. So I had a, a five week um, uh, leave, five weeks of leave um, to be with the boys, which was just fantastic. Yeah. Because Kathleen, you you were the primary earner yeah. of the family at yeah. the time, and Sanjeev, um, a modern husband and a stay-at-home yeah. husband, yeah, absolutely. and that all worked perfectly. I knew that Sanj, um, you know, did dabble uh, in inverted commons. Commas in the um, stock exchange. He, you know, he was um, investing, as he would have said, you know, in trading um, stocks and shares. But it was always a sideline. And that was his background, wasn't it? Banking, absolutely. So you know that um, that was fine. And 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 I always said, you know, if if he made it big, happy days, and I'd give up my job and we'd live happily ever after. You know. So you've had that difficult conversation with Sanjeev oh, yeah. in the kitchen, yeah. maybe even at the kitchen table <laughs> over the cup of tea. Yeah. How do we fix this? Yeah. And then 10 days later, as yeah. we mentioned, Sanjeev brings the boys out for uh, a day of bowling, bowling. and yeah. they don't come home. Yeah. And that, you know, I look back in hindsight now and I see that for the week before there was a calmness about him. Um, at the time... I would have said it was because everything was now out in the open. I hadn't kicked him out of the family home um, and we were dealing with things. So I saw that calmness as actually a relief that, you know, we, things were going to be OK um, in him. And was Whereas he loving with you? And I didn't want that. So, okay. no, um, I had spoken to Owen and um, 
I'd asked him, was there any questions? Was he okay? Was there anything he wanted to ask me? And um, he was okay. He knew Daddy had done something very wrong, um, but that we were going to to sort it out. And and that would have only been one or two days before um, before that uh, Sunday. So you know, I I wasn't pushing it. We were going to let's do this slowly and, and gently. He was only ten. And, it, uh, you know, it's it's that, that motherly and indeed fatherly protection of the child that, you know, we, we will tell them when they definitely need, need to. to know. Yeah. But for now, let's uh, allow them to go for a day of bowling yeah. with daddy. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what it, it should have been. That's all it should have been. And and even the fact that he was taking them and, and I was staying behind wasn't unusual. It wasn't anything um, out of the ordinary. If I had known or had any suspicion of of what was going to happen, it wouldn't have happened. You know, they wouldn't have been allowed to go or I wouldn't have let them go. So he'd left on that that, um, Sunday night and um, it got quite late in the the evening and you know because it was the holidays you're not it, it could be that they got cut up or were talking to somebody or went to McDonald's or there's all sorts of reasons but got to about 10 o'clock and I was getting anxious discovered then that he'd left his phone by um, the bed um, so he didn't have a phone with him when I went to try and call him um, and you start to think okay what's going on and, and I suppose in my head I thought he'd simply had almost like a breakdown and it just was was going, you know, was was running with the boys, if you like. And initially I thought he might have gone up to his his brother who lived up in Northern Ireland. Um, then I thought maybe actually the, the, the most prevalent thought for me all that night was that he was gone to the UK. We had only been over, we'd driven over, um, gone over on the ferry uh, about three weeks previously to, to his mom in London. And I thought, ah, the timing of that seemed right. You know, there was a ferry at about nine o'clock He'd left the house at about six, so to get down to Ross Lair, get down there in time, etc. Um, and I figured he was probably going to be able to travel on his um, driving license, and you know all of those sort of thoughts because he'd left. I knew the passports were there, um, were at home, but you know all that night I thought that's probably what he's done. The worst I thought was that they would be scared. That was the absolute worst. Um, and I remember, you know, Sanchez's brother, phone, when, when I'd spoken to him, he, he, and in fairness to him, because I phoned him about one o'clock in the morning, and he came straight down. Um, and, and I remember saying, yeah, please do, because I knew that, well, in my head, um, I knew that when the boys came back with Sanchez, you know, the guards were going to now be involved, the boys would be terrified, and Sanchez was going to need somebody on his side. Even then, that was my my concern that, you know, as much as I was angry with him and I was not going to want him back in the house at that point, um, I also was concerned for him, you know, because in a way I saw this as a breakdown. Throughout that that whole morning, um, through lunch, you know, people coming and going, the guards coming and going, um, family and friends, um, you know, trying to work out where might they be, where could they be. Um, and, uh, and then I remember at lunchtime, um, 
one of the detectives from from Kilkenny had to sit down with me to take a statement. And and I remember I, I went about starting, you know, from the night before and he was like, no, no, he said, hang on, Kathleen. So you were born in Ballinkillen. And I'm like, oh, OK. So it went right back. So what he was trying to do was paint a picture, yeah. a picture of my relationship with Sanj, my, my relationship, I suppose, overall with, with, with you know, sort of my, my place, we'll say. Um, and then my relationship with Sanj and, and our family dynamic and were there other people involved, maybe that, that sort of thing. And uh, we got um, about halfway through that. And the phone rang. I had the phone in front of me on the table and the phone rang. It was a, a, just a number. I didn't recognise the number. And I picked it up and it was Sanj on the other end of the line. Again, I can't quite remember how the whole conversation went, but it was essentially, you know, are you OK? Are the boys OK? And uh, his answer to that was no, they're dead in the back. That was how Kathleen. I found out. I've read those words in your book, but to hear them out of your mouth, it is shocking. Yeah, shocking. And that, I do remember just losing it, dropping the phone. The detective, Sean, who um, was taking the statement, he had taken the phone from me. Um, he walked out of uh, the sitting room outside um, at the front door. And, and these are the things that are actually quite, quite strong in my memory um, and, and very clear. Um, so he walked past me. He had to take the, a call outside and I have no idea how much time passed. But um, he came in and I was able to see the front door from where I was sat. And as he came in the door, he there was a, a, a sort of a shake of his head and and I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And that's all I I know from that. Um, I know I lost it. I know I pretty much collapsed. Um, I think there was um, a scream. I'm, I'm told I did scream. Um, and I remember very vividly that dark hole. And it's the only way I can describe it. And then complete and utter shock kicked in. Because honestly, it's not that you wouldn't have known, but I just remember going into um just a, just a place that I could function. And that's the only way I can describe it. I was able to function and I needed to be able to function and I wanted to be able to function and, and actually to do all of that um, meant I didn't have to think about anything else. I didn't have to think about the boys. I didn't have to think about the loss. I didn't have to, you know, so just, just function, take, get through the next breath and the next breath. You're in survival mode, totally. basically. Totally. Kathleen, at this point, are you thinking... You know, you've lost your boys. So yeah. that, that is that is the end of everything, everything as you know it. Yeah. Are you thinking they, you know, lost their lives in a car crash or had you been told exactly what had happened? Because what he did. Yeah. Yeah. What he did horrific. to the boys was horrific. Um, it was a while before I, I knew that. Um, I I was told again very quickly that they were um, found in the boot of the car because I'm not even sure that those around Sanj at that point when he made the phone call to me were aware that the boys were in the car. 
Um, I think he, he, you know, the, the focus was on him because obviously he was the only person that was visible in the car. Um, you know, I, I've, I've heard since that uh, those that were around could see sort of the, the car seat, uh, the booster seat for, for the boys and, and sort of a, a few bits that they kind of made them suspect there was somebody else in the car. So they wanted to be able to carry out an autopsy as quickly as possible. So you know, within a few hours, they were talking about the boys needing to be identified. So bless them, my two brothers, Brian and, and Kevin, immediately stepped up and said that they would go. I think two guards drove them um, because it was over in, in um, Mayo. They were going to have to go to Castle Bar. You know, you're talking three and a half, yeah. four hour drive. And I've always been grateful for that because I've always felt that if I had gone over that time myself, because Sanj was in Castlebar Hospital, he did have some injuries. Um, I felt I would have wanted to see him. And I look back on that now and I go, if I had seen him at the time, would would I have wanted to be involved? Would I have wanted to support him on some level? Um, because, you know, this was still the man that I loved. You know, for all that had happened in the, the couple of weeks previously, or the, the, you know, I loved him. He was my husband, he was Owen Rory's father. And so I remember that night, my sister um, made me go up to bed. So I got into into the boys' bed, they they into Rory's bed, I suppose, but they had been sleeping in it together for uh, the previous, um, since the, the beginning of the year. Um, they shared the bed. And um, I remember getting in and I remember Irene getting in behind me and just putting her arms around me and, and I cried. And... Um, slept. I needed sleep. But I woke up as Kevin and Brian were coming back. I heard the car coming in. I think it was about three, four o'clock in the morning. I went down because that was my last little hope that all of this was wrong. That wasn't my boys. Now, logically, I knew, but in my heart, I wanted it to be not them. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, Brian came in and um, I asked him, was it them? And he said, yeah, it was them. And I remember asking, were they OK? Did they look OK? And he said they did. They looked peaceful. Um, and he told me that uh, they weren't being left alone in the morgue, that there was somebody with them all the time and uh, that they were leaving the lights on. So that was, you know, that was important to me at the time. It still is. Um, and I suppose that's where I talk about the, the love that the boys have inspired from right from then, from before that, but from them, then, you know, people who didn't know them were looking out for them and were caring for them. And, you know, that, that is important as a mom, as a mother. That was so important. I then discovered that legally Sanj had to be discharged from hospital before he could be arrested and he also had the right to um, request an independent autopsy if he wanted um, and that couldn't happen until he had been arrested. So there was this back and forth um, and there was a very significant risk that I would have had to say goodbye to my boys through a glass window um, that they would not have been able to be be brought home or that we wouldn't have been able to have an open coffin um, 
my background is nursing. I know what death does to a body. Um, and I was very aware that the boys needed to come home sooner rather than later. So there was a lot of pressure put on um, to get them uh, home. And um, so that um, they came home to me in the early hours of the Thursday morning. Were you aware by that stage of the extent of the injuries? No, okay. no. And I have to say the, the first time I realised um, the extent, I understood that he had um, suffocated the boys or had strangled them. And that was as much as I knew. So it was when the boys came home um, that I realised, and, and even at that stage, the only injury that I could see physically was that there was a fist-sized um, lump of hair pulled out of Owen's scalp. So uh, it literally had a bald patch um, to the extent that we had to we had to, they, they couldn't sleep in their own, on their own sides of the bed because I had to try and um, hide um, the, the, that injury, if you like, or that, that bowl patch. Um, so uh, Owen had beautiful long yeah, hair as well. So it was obvious. It yeah. was very obvious. And that was the first time that I really realised that the, the extent of maybe the violence that had happened. The injuries that Owen had, Owen had, um, so his his skull effectively had to be pieced back together again, um, like a jigsaw. Um, so he had extensive uh, sort of head injuries. Um, he had a uh, broken collarbone, ribs um, and hip, um, uh, so hip fracture. So the level of violence that it would have taken in the confines of a car, the backseat of a car to inflict that, is beyond me. Um, Sand, by all accounts, has denied those um, the, those injuries as being caused by him. Um, I think in in court he did say that you know it or certainly when he was interviewed I should say by the guards uh, you know that they must have been caused by the crash. Uh, no, I mean they weren't. They were um they 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 were not caused by the crash um we know that and we know that from the autopsy um there's no question and uh, so that he could have inflicted that level of injury on Owen and then um strangled him um again i thought he'd strangled him manually with, with his hands it wasn't it was a ligature so he had a rope that he used um and my understanding um and bearing in mind that the only person that knows what happened is sanj so you know anything that he has said is possibly to his own best interest um but what he did tell the guards was that uh, rory slept throughout all of that there's no way, absolutely no way that that could have happened, um, in my view. And that... Because uh, that, that sounds so unbelievably violent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Owen or Rory has to have witnessed it. Yeah. He has to have. Sanj said that he had taken him onto his knee after that to comfort him. And then he strangled him. Um... And, and bizarrely, I'm grateful for the fact that, you know, he just strangled him. That sounds so 
strange to say those words, but, you know, after the level of, of, of violence against Owen. Um, Is there evidence that Owen had fought back? There was some. Yeah. There was. So my my sense of it is that he was asleep at the time when this started. Um, Sanj, as I understand it, had tried to strangle the three of them together. So he had some convoluted way of, of these ropes around to, that he'd pull them and that all three of them would effectively die together. So what I assume happened, and it is an assumption because, as I say, the only person that can actually tell is, is Sanj. Um, I assume that Owen woke up as part of that, started fighting, um, you know, in the midst of, of just, uh, he's still half asleep. And he's got this person that he trusts most in the world. This monster, as I see him now, um, looming over, that's how I envisage it, looming over him um, and, and causing this hurt. All I can pray for and hope for is that the injuries were such that, the head injury was such that he lost consciousness quickly. That's all I can hope. You got to bring the boys home. You had 24 hours with, with your boys. Yeah. yeah. And and I'll be forever grateful for that. You know, they were they were in their own room. Um they were in the same bed, albeit on, on opposite sides, but they were in bed together and um As you say, like they would be. They would be. And and I was so proud to to have people come and see them it's 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 so strange it's and i've spoken to another mum who who lost a little girl and and would have said as similar i remember when i went to to um to that wake you know seeing a certain um proudness in in showing off her little girl and i felt exactly the same with owen and rory you know i wanted people to to see them to know them um and so I was, it was, it was such a strange and surreal time. Um, you know, there were kids in and out of the, the room. Um, and you've been in yeah. mummy mode, changing yeah. fresh sheets. Oh, totally. Getting the beds ready. Yeah. Yeah. Boys in their Yeah, in fresh, their fresh jerseys, their yeah. Kilkenny jerseys, yeah. their Kilkenny um, outfits and, you know, um, uh, absolutely. And and you wanted the room just right and you wanted all the things that were important to them there. And, you know, and, and, and they were. And, you know, I've always said that the boys were at peace, even even with what they've gone through. They were at peace because I don't believe that children in particular would have been as comfortable going in and out of the room as they were if the boys had not been at peace. So while... What happened to them was absolutely horrendous. Um, that sense of them and and that sense of peace was, and I needed that. I needed that comfort, if you like. Um, you know, so there was lots of presents put on the, the bed for them. There was toothbrushes because they were going to need to brush their teeth in heaven. Um, there were sweets galore. Oh, I would other, have talked to my family members right. about the fact that I feel very strongly that they... They forgave Sanj. Um, I won't ever forgive him. He's serving a life sentence, which in Ireland, we know, does not necessarily mean life behind uh -huh. bars, uh, Kathleen. Yeah. He's been up for parole already, right? Yeah, which totally 
um, took me by surprise, to be honest. Um, when he pled guilty in the first place, I, my fear was that there would be an insanity plea of some sort or diminished responsibility or, or something. Um, but he didn't. He, he pled guilty from the start. And, you know, that, that did make things a little bit easier for me. But it also made it easier for him. You know, we knew he had done this. Um, so he was always guilty. Um, but by, by pleading guilty, it meant there was no, um, no real case. Um, it was really just a sentencing hearing, um, which meant he didn't have to confront anything that he had done. Um, so I thought that when it would come to parole, that he wouldn't apply, that he would just let it go. Um, and at seven years, the, the new Parole Act had just come uh, into law, been signed into law. And I wasn't aware that it then needed to be commenced, if you like. Um, and that that hadn't happened. So in my head, he couldn't apply for parole. You know, it took a bit of time for me to calm down and take the deep breath and, you know, kind of go, OK, what do, what do I do now and, and what do I do with this? And I suppose the one piece I think in the book that that actually is 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 quoted in the book is is my submission to the parole board. Um, that's when I discovered that no, while the you know the, the the parole bill was was in law, it hadn't been enacted, and therefore it wasn't being acted upon. Um, so then I started sort of making the phone calls and finding out a little bit more about that. But in the meantime, I then had to make my my own submission to the parole um, board, and I just went you know, why am I having to make this was, was pretty much my, my argument. Is it not obvious why he should never receive parole, let alone after seven years? Um, so because this is a man who not only strangled your two little boys, but you subsequently found out in an email that he was in actual fact planning to, to kill, kill you me. as well. Yeah. So about six weeks after the boys were killed, um, I was going through emails. I was going through um, Owen's email account, as it happens. Um, the, our laptop and computer had been taken away by the guards. Um, so I had no access to photographs of the boys. Um, and I knew there would be some photos on on this because they had been created when Owen was born so that, um, you know, Sanj could send photos to his mum and dad, you know, from Owen, uh, effectively. And uh, so I was going through it and I was going through some of the, you know, so you start going through all the folders then just just because I was randomly just sort of going through it and the next thing I see this email that Sanj had written in it um, it was basically a suicide note um, he'd um, waffled on a little bit about trading and how to trade with stocks and shares which was bizarre um, but then uh, from the middle onwards was something along the lines of, of raise a glass to Kathleen and the boys and forget about me you know but remember them and I was like oh oh he intended taking all of us and this was dated a year and a half earlier so that shook me completely to the core because I went I've lain next to this man every night um, and he's wanted to kill me you know and it wasn't one of those I could kill her it was no, actually, in his mind, he has planned how he will kill me and our two sons and then himself. So a whole family annihilation was what he thought about and planned.
a friend of his subsequently who was in touch with him and, and bless him, he had contacted me in advance to know was it okay to 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 you know to see Sanj or to to uh, be in communication with him and I was like yes it is because I thought maybe I'll learn something um, so Gary was going off to see him and um, asked it was there anything I wanted to know or ask and, and the two questions were do I um, am I in danger from any you know in other words had he gotten loans from loan sharks or something like that so am I in danger and um, why didn't he take me so the first and the, the answer to the first question was no I wasn't and to the second was a, he knew that I would have fought back and it pro- he probably wouldn't have been able to do it so um, so we, we had cowardly to the list of expletives that I would use in in relation to him and and you know because um, yeah he just he he was the I and it's not that I'm wishing that he had taken me as, as there have been many times where I have wished that but uh, it's it's not that I, I necessarily feel you know that way about it but it is um you know now I look at it and I go you know would I am I in danger in the future you know if he gets out on parole which he will do I I talk about this being a fight and I will fight every single time he his application comes through I am at the moment I'm I'm strong enough and I am you know worked up enough to to fight um and and I will fight at 12 years and I'll fight again at 13 14 15 16 whatever number of years are there but what happens at 18, 19, 20 years when I mightn't feel up to the fight and he does get parole? That's my biggest fear. Um, he doesn't deserve to leave prison, um, in my view. Um, I just don't think he deserves it. Um, and yet I know that this is a fight I will lose because the life sentence, the average life sentence in this country is 20 years. To me, he deserves nothing. Um, what he did and the betrayal of Owen and Rory um, and and how he did it, um, to my mind, means he deserves nothing. And my thanks to Kathleen Chada for joining me today. Everything is published by Umbrella Publishing and is available in all good bookshops. I'm Siobhan McGuire and today's episode was produced by myself, researched by Tabitha Monaghan and Anna Vejlarczyk, with sound by John Smith. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.